Welcome to Rebel Rebel. This is Lauren Rebel, your host and podcast creator. This interview with Monica Van Oudesden was recorded right after the video of Ahmaud Aubrey came out. So it was recorded before my special Black Lives Matter installment. That's just FYI. Please hope you enjoy today's conversation with my best friend from high school, Monica. Hello, and welcome to Revel Revel. Today, my guest is Monica Bader Van Oudesden. All right, you say it properly, though, for me, Moni. Van Oudesden. Okay, so that's a Dutch name, right? Yes, yes. Van is the Dutch word for from, and then there is a town known as Oudesden. So Leo's got family from Van Oudesden, and that's his last name, Van Oudesden. And was that like an Ellis Island kind of a thing? They said, well, you're from this, so this is your new name? I think so. His dad came over as a teenager with his family, and I'm almost certain that's how that happened, the last name. So I always start off the podcast with talking about how we know each other as part of the introduction. So do you want to say how we know each other? Sure. I remember (laughs) being a sophomore in high school at Mount Carmel High School in San Diego, waiting at the bus stop. And here you appeared. And I'm like, who is this girl? (laughs) You were like full of energy and funny and bubbly for far too early in the morning for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like who is this girl? And so I quickly learned on the bus ride that you had just moved from New Jersey and you lived just down the hill from me. And we just hit it off from then. So the theme of the podcast is about just the weird twists that life takes, fate, coincidence, whatever. And when we get together and talk about things, we can sort of peel back forgotten memories of the details of different things. Like maybe, maybe never talked about or maybe talked about so long ago we don't remember. Right. But I remember that you said to me something about how I would get to the bus stop and put on makeup and put on my earrings and like change my hair and change my clothes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't remember that. But when you tell it, then I kind of go, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah. You did exactly that. You would do like some cool eyeshadow and cool eyeliner and... Like I was into very minimal makeup at best then. So I was super impressed by your ability to not only do it, but do it on the bus, do it at the bus stop, on the ride to school. (laughs) So I've really been, I'm going to be 51 next week. And there are things that leading up to your podcast that have come back to my memory. You're saying that your memory isn't that great. Mine is sadly at times pretty sharp of some things that happened in high school and I haven't really gotten emotional about it, but it's been emotional thinking about some things and then thinking, wow, like that really shaped life decisions I made. Nuances I think about my personality that I didn't really realize stemmed from. And I think on some level, all of us can say childhood experiences, positive, negative, of course shape us, but I just haven't thought about them in a really long time, like memories, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that happened. Okay. So when I say emotional, I think it's more emotional just that I'm remembering these things, but there's, I'm so far removed from them. Like I can tell you about them and I'm not going to be like falling apart. I probably was falling apart when they were happening. What is this 30 years ago? But I'm like, wow, that really changed something about me and shifted something about me. So it's been it's been interesting for for me to think about the preparation for this podcast. Wow, so this is exactly the stuff that I want to talk about, but I also don't want to cause you pain. You know, obviously I want to hear about whatever you want to talk about and this is the important to yeah. you. So I'm like lay it on me whatever you want to talk about. Well, you know, I was I was thinking about high school and then I it made me thrust actually forward at first to think about choices that I made in college. Uh, or immediately after high school. And then I started thinking even before high school, just how my life went and how I believe in fate. I believe in a timeline. I believe that things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. 
But within that, I would say for sure, I feel randomness about mm. some things like the mm -hmm. devil's in the details. And sometimes those details are where change happens the most or change happens most surprisingly, most painfully. So, okay. So I was thinking about before high school, um, as a little kid, grew up, you know, with a family that was together, mom and a dad and sisters, and we weren't a perfect family. But overall, you know, we functioned like normal and, you know, my life was good, but we moved a lot. And I think that started me off in a different, just life experience in that I didn't have kids that I knew my whole life since elementary school. Like I never had that. Even when I moved to Sago in the 10th grade, I had moved a bunch of times of my dad's work. We moved like every three years. It was kind of like a military life, although my dad wasn't in the military. So I learned very quickly to, while I wanted to have friends and be a part of something, I knew that it wasn't going to last long. So I never, except for my sister relationships, I never was able to create something long-term, even as a little kid. And then, so we fast forward to... Um, to San Diego. And so I think, okay, another one of the things that drew me to you was that you were new in your sophomore year, like I was. I thought, right, oh my right. gosh, like, awesome. This is somebody else who's, well, we came from different areas. You experienced your freshman year somewhere else like I did. Because, you know, we, we both know lots of people who could pull out yearbooks from elementary school and find each other in them. You know, yes. And Aunt Carmel. Yes. I didn't, I didn't have that. I had only moved once in my life prior to that move. And you had already moved at least five, six times? Yes. Yeah. Equally. Yeah. yeah. If not more, really, if I said I should right. them out. So I guess, you know, if you're going to move every three years to be able to have sophomore, junior, senior before you move again is yeah. perfect. Yeah. And San Diego being such a transplant military town, everyone is used to people moving but I think that there was a culture of not getting attached to people because you, yeah. people are just going to leave you. Yeah. Yes. And so you could relate to that. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So you said you were getting emotional and it was in preparation of the podcast yeah. in conjunction with your birthday or no, just, irrespective. Yeah, irrespective, but it just made me think about like high school years and and in details that I haven't thought about in a really long time like like I remember being a part of clubs at school but I remember always feeling kind of like I was just one step outside of what I would term as like the popular kids at school like I knew them I might do things with them every once in a while, but I wasn't like a regular in those groups because yeah. I mean, I remember doing things just one-on-one -on -one with, you know, kids that I would have deemed as popular, or I remember being invited to things. And then I remember just not, there were times when I didn't feel really a part of, of that. And it was disappointing and maybe even painful, but okay. So here's what I'm leading up to is, is I, I can see where experiences had me, say to myself, like, if you don't get invited to stuff, it's okay. If you are not going to be included in something, you're going to have to make it so it's okay. So I remember doing a lot of preemptive, I call them preemptive strikes. I still do them. That's, that's sad. Like I will take myself out of situations because then there's no chance of you rejecting me or not including me in something because I've already pulled myself out as an option. So I'm not even involved. So don't, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I've already got myself covered. I, if you don't, if you don't invite me to something, oh, I, I dismiss it or, or I wasn't, I was never available. Does that make sense? And yeah, it's a, it's a self-protective yeah. defensive maneuver. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. the, I, the truth is I probably would want to go, but I'm going to act like I'm just was never interested. And so I will just create my own roadblocks and be like, well, I, I couldn't have gone anyways when I probably could have, but I can see that developed really through, through my life. And I got really better at it as, as life went on. Isn't that sad, but it's true. You mean like you got good at being yeah, like, that preemptively defensive? Mm -hmm. So you couldn't really call me as being defensive or hurt by something because I would have taken that choice from somebody else away long before they even had thought about it. It sounds like you're saying it was manageable if you did it to yourself. Yes. And if someone else did it to you, 
you couldn't handle it. And so you wanted to manage it. Yeah. I look back, you know, you, there was a picture you posted of us in the yearbook and it it makes me look at pictures of myself in the yearbook. And I was a cute girl. I, I, I didn't think I was at the time. And I remember thinking I was a lot bigger than everybody else. And, and there were times again, like I'm fine totally telling you this now, it was devastating 30 some years ago, but I remember, you know, the boys, not all of them, but there were boys that didn't help that situation at all. Like I remember, um, they were mean to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember, um, and I, I'm thinking, gosh, do I use names? What if I've got these memories wrong? I, I, I know I don't have the memories wrong. I just might have the names wrong, but I don't have to give a name, but I remember, for example, our junior year, I was um, in leadership class and, and I was in Mr. Christopher's classroom and I was running to uh, Mr. O's class to just drop something off and pick something up. And I went into the room and to him, he had a f- class full of, of kids and, and, and I'm just waiting there by the desk. And all of a sudden I look down row and there's two boys and they're just kind of like looking at me and they're just kind of talking to each other. And one starts mooing. And I was like, wow, like really? So I, it's like, I look back at pictures and, and I know like how tall I, I was in high school. I know what I weighed because do you remember back in those days, they would like weigh you and be like, here's what you weigh. And they would kind of announce it, you know? Yeah. You know, five eight, I was a, a very normal weight, but I remember feeling like I wasn't a cute cheerleader. You know, there were moments like that, or there were there was um, there was a moment where somebody you and I know very well, somebody told me that he thought that I was cute, but I'd be hotter. This was the word hotter. This is like 1986, 1987. If I was like 20 pounds lighter, and I'm thinking, wow. And so I think I learned very early that my looks were not the norm for San Diego, wasn't always going to be accepted, and that I had an uphill climb in front of me. But again, this is, I haven't thought about these things in a long time. It's just, just knowing that your podcast was coming, that all of those high school memories are, were coming to the surface. Yeah. Well, we all like to see ourselves a certain way, and I see myself as if I had that that happened to you, I'd probably go and kick that boy in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I feel like, like, did you not tell me? Yeah, no, I you didn't. No, I know for sure. I didn't tell you that. And I know for like both of those examples, because I felt like it was, this was just about me and it was just my burden to bear. And okay. So you know how people can compartmentalize things? I got there, I would a visual visualization technique, and this is gonna sound probably super weird, but and I haven't done this in a really long time, but I remember t- taking situations and feelings in my head and watching myself put those uh, those uh, those thoughts and those experiences in boxes, white boxes, closing them up, tying them up with red ribbons, and then throwing them into a fire. <gasps> really? But I would do that. Do you yeah. remember when that started? How old you were? High school. High wow. school. But I got to tell you, at some point in college, I would use this visualization technique. But instead of a fire, I started seeing myself just storing them. They hmm. went like in storage. The concrete difference is fire burns and erases and cleanses. When you store things, they just build up and you save them. Yeah. Still was like a visual. I could see myself put these in a box white box, red ribbon, and just stick them to the side. So I didn't learn that from something, just something I developed on my own. Wow. And I wonder why you would decorate it with the red ribbon. Like that makes it like a present, like special. Right. And red's my favorite color. So I I don't know. But I think that we moved a lot. I didn't feel tethered to things as a little kid. And high school was overall fun. If you look back at my high school memories with you, I talk about feeling like I'm in a fashion show with other girls. And that's my guarded way of saying I wasn't one of the pretty girls. And I didn't have the same experience some of the other girls did. And there was some regret there at my 17, 18-year-old age. But, you know, I was watching girls who I thought were beautiful, probably peaking in high school. And I didn't see that then. I see that now. I see that actually my my better years came later, but you've been tormented a little bit, teased. I don't know what the word is, 
you think, um, oh my gosh, like I'm just not as good as the other girls. But, you know, now at this age and looking back, the truth is that I ended up flourishing later when, as I got older. Now that you can look back, how did you see that flourishing happen? I think that I was able to, okay, whenever I left high school and I went to community college for a little while, and then I transferred to the University of Arkansas, and maybe it was that community of people. I just loved my life after high school. I loved being in college. I loved the, that huge campus in Fayetteville and being a part of um, organizations then and, and going to classes there. And, and maybe it was because it was so large. Like even whenever I was there, there were like 30,000 students there. I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge campus. And maybe high school just felt really, I know it did. It felt just small. You see the same people every day. And not that you didn't at the university, but, you know, I could walk around campus and not pass the same people. Your world is just a lot smaller in high school. And I enjoyed the bigger, bigger world of college. And it's funny because our high school class was so big and overwhelming, especially when we first got there. Right. There were so many people. But then after you're there for a while, you're right. You're especially if you're in a clique, your world is very small. And I think maybe that's why here is a little bit of, again, revisionist looking back. How much did we stay separate from other people because we were choosing to versus not wanting to be rejected by a clique or whatever. But I know that I was just too interested in too many different things to just say, okay, I'm going to settle down for this one little thing. But I think we have to both admit that there was a little bit of keeping ourselves distant intentionally and not, not just for fun, but for protection as well. So, so to go from like a a thousand ish people in our class to um, community college and that was Moore Park, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Mesa. Well, remember, do you remember I went to Mesa college in San Diego for a semester? Do you remember that? I lived with you. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. But for some reason in my head, I was thinking that, you left and came back. Okay. No, that was dumb. I don't know why I thought that. Okay. Okay, Yeah. Yeah. And then I left and then I did like a semester at Mesa. Then my, my, cause my, my, um, my dad had taken a job, um, in Thousand Oaks, California. So I finished out the semester cause I had already started. I lived with you and then I moved uh, to Moore Park and I did just so I could do a full year. I did a a semester at Moore Park. Then I went to the university of Arkansas. So it was really when you got to a big university, not just community college, that you felt like, here, I can breathe. This is my environment. Yes. Interesting. I felt more, you know, again, my boy experience in high school was super limited. And I mean, I had a lot of boyfriend, like friends that were boys, but um, the whole dating world really opened up for me. It did a little bit at Moore Park college a little, but really like I had dating situations and relationships that I had never had before when I was at the University of Arkansas. And I felt just a lot more like accepted of who I was. And I had, I had lots of boy slash men attention. I had a lot of it. In fact, in fact, (laughs) I was over like, and and I don't mean to say this in like a conceited way. It was just overwhelming because I wasn't used to it. You know, as, as any teenage girl wants to experience, well, heterosexual teenage girl wants to experience is knowing that you are accepted by the opposite sex. That's something that, you know, and anyways, that was confirmed for sure. And going back to before that period though, you know, you didn't really tell me what was going on. Did you tell your sisters? No. You know what? I really didn't. Okay. And that's another thing I was thinking about is in, in my life as a whole, in a whole, and I can think of rare examples of this, what I'm about to say is, and you know, uh, Brene Brown and her, mm-hmm. on her talk on, on vulnerability Yeah, that I would say as a whole, I am not one, have not been one to share my vulnerability with people. I just have not. I didn't as a kid, I didn't as a school, didn't as a young adult. I struggle with that now. So about five or six years ago, we had something happen at a church that we were attending and it really just tore the church apart. And we left 
And I felt right before all of that explosion kind of happened, I felt like I really needed an outlet. I really just needed to be honest with somebody. I really just needed, I don't, want to, I don't want anybody to fix it. I don't want anybody to make my choices, control it. You don't even have to respond. But I felt like, gosh, I just need a sounding board. And I remember looking around and thinking, I don't. I don't, I don't think I have one. I have been the sounding board for so long and I had been the sounding board for so many people that I had created a situation for myself and that I didn't, but I, that's just the way that I felt that I felt like I couldn't just say, you know, really just get these things off my chest and they're going to be icky and they're going to be terrible and you're not going to like what I have to say. Not that they would be about anybody get it all out. And I felt like, oh, that there's anybody that I can really, like, who, who am I going to tell this to? So I really, uh, that's a work in progress. I, I just have not ever been someone to show and to be vulnerable with. I, and I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know, really, I, I can't, that I can't pinpoint, but I just have never been one to kind of emotional vomit on somebody yeah. else. I get a lot of that and I'm mm-hmm. really, and I, I'm, I'm happy to walk, to talk and walk people through all that, but it's, it's like, I just don't think I can do that with other people. I don't know what that means. So what happened after the, you're looking around for someone, I mean, you said it's like five, six years ago, you still haven't yeah. talked to anyone about it? I think I have a little bit, probably not all of it, but I probably have a little bit, not probably. I know it just comes out like in little pieces, like a trickle or like just little moments feel like I can say something versus I probably would have, it would have served me well just to sit with somebody and just kind of let it all, get it all out at once. Have you thought about getting a therapist? No, you know, isn't that funny? No, hmm. I haven't. And I've never been. So no. Mm-mm. I have gone a couple of times here and there, uh, but, but. Well, again, back it, that compartmentalizing white boxes, red ribbon. I think I just continue as a whole just to do that. And just, I, you know what I say to myself all the time is we're just moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Especially when things are bad. I don't want to stay where they are. I don't want to be stagnant. And I think I, I'm good with myself in terms of doing that. So things can be falling apart. There can be explosions, but my mantra is we keep moving forward. We don't stay and, and sit in the quagmire and let it take you down. We just keep, keep going forward. Do you remember when you first started making that your mantra? No, no. But my initial thought is it probably goes back to just being a little kid and having to leave and knowing we had to start, I had to start up new somewhere else. And just kind of, that was probably my little pep talk. We're just, you know, we're moving on or moving forward. My parents always made our moves very exciting. Like we're going to a new place or we're going to a new country and there's going to be this, there's going to be that. And so it gave me something to look forward to. So I think I probably at that young age was like, okay, we're moving on, we're moving forward, we're moving on to something else. It's going to be a thing. There's good things to come. So probably then. Right. So going back to how you felt in high school, not being one of the popular pretty girls, right? how did that impact you as a parent? Oh, well, <laughs> that's probably a good question. Probably even, well, I have a son and a daughter, but for my daughter, for sure, even as a little girl, we talked about, you know, no, no one gets to tell you what you aren't. You get to decide who you are, what, what you are, what your interests are, what you're looking like, what your hair looks like, what you're wearing, the music that you listen to. And I have to say, and I mean, I, I'm not going to take full credit because she's got an awesome father, but our daughter, she is one of the most unique people that I know. And she will do things where if she's in a group of 10, the other nine girls can be doing the same thing. Our daughter doesn't care. She's going to do whatever it is that she wants to do. She doesn't follow the crowd. She doesn't feel pressure. She really does a good job in heading her own direction. Sometimes that's with, you know, it it happens to be what other people are, are doing. Like we avoided a lot of girl high school, middle school drama with her. And it was because she would come home and she would tell me stories about how girls were acting. And she's like, oh my gosh, they're just being so ridiculous. I, I wanted no part of that. So I just walked away. 
or you know she just her. she's she's done a really good job and then that's carried her through call you know into college she she just finished her her finals uh, her sophomore year she's she's what i probably needed to be whenever I was younger, especially in high school. She just doesn't, stuff doesn't weigh her down. Stuff doesn't bug her like it bugged me, but she's a different person, you know, and she's, she's done a better job. Well, obviously that she's a different person, but I mean, the situation couldn't be more different in that it's a totally different time period. Yeah. Um, yeah. You knew what you needed and didn't get, and yeah. you probably strove to give her that. Yes. But also you didn't move around at all. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you hit on two points that I have to, I have to highlight. Number one, we didn't move around at all. So when we moved here where we live in Northwest Arkansas, we'll be here 14 years, um, this actually next month and in the same house. And when we moved here, our daughter was six, our son was two. So this is the only home that they've known. And they have what I didn't, didn't have. I can't go to a store. Well, I mean, because of the COVID mess, no one's going to stores, but you know what I mean? I can't go to a store, a park, a grocery store, a gas station where I don't see her old basketball coach or uh, a teacher or a student or just somebody in, in, you know, in, in her younger years. Again, I love my parents. I think my parents did the best job that they could do with the tools that they had, but I, there were things that I needed during my high school years that they just, it's not that they just didn't want to give them to me. And I don't mean things, I mean like emotional support or just things, direction and things to say, they just didn't know to do it. I think it's maybe the era that they were brought up in or just right. their own life experiences. But I made sure to start conversations with Paige very early. And, and I wouldn't say things like, what career do you want to do? Because that's, that's a tough one. But I would, I would say, you know, we, we came home from something. Did you enjoy that? What makes you happy? What are the things that you love to do? What are your areas of interest? And try and cultivate that in, in both of our kids. And as she got older, she saw the things that she was naturally good at. So on her own, when she was in the seventh grade, she started being a reading tutor at our local library. Good for her. Yeah, she did that for two years. And so she knew, she, she could tell that she liked working with children. And she liked being in a situation where she was helping children. Well, fast forward to now, they have a, a five-year program at the school that she's at to get your master's in five years. And so she's in that master's program to get a master's in social work. So, but again, that got cultivated very young or highlighted very young that that's something she was naturally good at. Right. You know, I think that you are a terrific mom and I think you've got terrific kids and it's obviously there's no perfect family and there's no perfect situation for everybody. But as you were saying that there were things that your parents couldn't give you and I'm kind of laughing inside thinking, but I was running to your house for things that I couldn't get at my house. I know, right. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, again, my, my family, my parents were, were good parents, but I really didn't have a whole lot of direction. I was trying to figure out what I might be interested in. Just trying to figure out what I might be good at because I didn't have anyone around me going. I think I needed some steering. You know what I mean? Just point me in a direction and just kind of, again, what I, what I hope, what I think that we've given to our children, giving them a jumping off point, a direction to head, something to think about, what you're naturally good at. You know, what's something that you love? And nobody asked me those questions whenever I was, I knew I was going to college, but that's all I knew. And this is me following an older sister. I'm in the middle. I have an older sister and a younger sister. This is me following an older sister who, from a very young age, I remember her always saying two things that she wanted to be. She either wanted to be an airline stewardess or she wanted to be a teacher, a teacher and has been for like 35 years. And so <laughs> I think that they thought that I would just figure out my two and choose between the one of them. And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in so many different things. And, and I just was never really sure on what I would do. And I just felt like I just didn't. And I was envious of my older sister that she knew exactly what she wanted to do. Cause I was like, what am I, what am I doing? So you went to Arkansas before your parents moved to Arkansas again, right? Like you went there first and then they followed. Well, timing wise, they actually got here two months before we did. So okay. Okay. we got here. We actually moved here July of 2006. My folks moved here May of 2006. 
So if you back up though a year before that, 2005, my dad had retired from his job. He, so they were just in Southern California, just kind of hanging out and deciding what they were going to do. And they had talked about uh, retiring outside of Southern California, but they didn't know where. And then Leo, um, we had come back to see my grandmother. My dad's mom was in a, um, a nursing home and she was, had had surgery and complications after that and she was she was dying basically and so we came to visit and we had only Paige and she was like almost two and Leo had never been to Arkansas and so we came and we stayed for a little over a week and he's like born and raised in Southern California not knowing anything else and we got back home and he's like I loved it the people could not have been nicer and just he's an outdoors guy he had just kind of been feeling like it was time to do something. He'd been working for a biotechnology firm in, in Southern California. He just started putting out resumes to Walmart and J.B. Hunt, just the big corporations that were out here in Northwest Arkansas. Nothing really happened. And then uh, I would say several months went by and then he got a call from like a headhunter. I don't even know if those are around anymore. Said, I'm hiring for your area of expertise for Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas. He said, would you be interested? And <laughs> Leo's like, as a matter of fact, I would, and you know, had applied directly. Nothing really happened, and um, it seemed like as soon as he met with that headhunter and he came out and interviewed with Walmart, it was like bam, bam, bam. Stuff just moved and just clicked right along. Well, we Leo comes back from that first interview and he's like, okay, I I know they're going to send me an offer, and you know, we kind of announced to our family that we're moving. My folks were like, oh, okay. Well, if you're moving, there's nothing to keep us here. We're moving. You know, it's funny. Normally when people tell stories like that, I go, okay, now everything makes sense. But I actually got more confused because I'm like, what took you to college oh, in Arkansas in the oh, first sorry. place? Because now yes. I don't know why you went okay. there and then you went back to California and okay. all that. I move up to Park and I'm going to Park College. At the time, my dad was still working. His work had taken him internationally before. Well, this company, he had a chance to go to the United Arab Emirates. He said, I'm going to United Arab Emirates. What, what are you going to do? Because my older sister was often, I think, married and teaching. My younger sister was young enough to go with them. And I was kind of stuck in the middle. And so it was my dad's idea. He said, we've got family in the, in the Northwest Arkansas corner. He said, would you be interested at all at looking at schools there? Because then he would feel better about leaving me here while they traveled abroad. And I'm not like in Southern California by myself because where we lived, we didn't have any family. We had friends, but you know, we didn't have any family. And I said, sure. So I came out and did like a tour of University of Arkansas and I did John Brown University. And I think those are the two major, the big ones here. And I really liked the U of A. And as soon as I started school, whatever plans that company had to go to the UAE fell through and they didn't go, but I had already enrolled in school and I'm loving it. My dad's like, okay, we'll just stay. And so I did. And they actually did go to the UAE, but much later, like I think I was married. Yeah. I totally have forgotten all that. Yeah. So, you know, when we started talking, mm-hmm. you said about how you, you do believe in fate and coincidences and how that life takes you places. It's on this ride right. that you don't really have that much control over. So, but I haven't heard in a lot of your stories, the details that show you where those things are happening. So if you could maybe point some out that we've sort of skipped over or talk about a new story that has that, that you're like, yep, I can't deny what's going on here. Well, okay. So just you and you and I meeting. You know, how is it that you and I are now all these years later and all those years ago, we were both new students, new to California, both sophomore year. You lived just down the road from me. How is it that we we met each other and we were in a very similar situation? I remember just being so nervous starting school and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, everybody's going to like have friends from a long time ago. And there was some of that for sure. But I remember I just thought to myself, you know, the, I, I think we were supposed to meet. We, You and I were supposed to meet. We were supposed to be friends. Look at our situations and look how, I mean, it was like a physical, we were on the same school bus. We lived just down the street from each other. So it wasn't like anything. I had. And our birthdays yeah, are just two weeks yeah. apart and we were just slapped yes, together. Like I didn't have to go and seek you out. Like there you were just one day. 
So to me, that feels very faded because I didn't, I wasn't looking for you. Uh, meeting, meeting my husband. So I was, had moved back to Southern California and working and my younger sister was dating my now husband's younger brother. Now that relationship dissolved years and years ago, but I could not have been less interested in, in meeting someone. I had dated off and on my senior year of college and actually had left on kind of a bumpy note with someone and I just was not interested at all. And in fact, whenever I first met my husband, I I was like cold and I was like, just really was not giving him the time of day, but he was so persistent. He would, he would invite me out to do things. I'm like, I just, no, it's like, I just I acted like I just didn't have time for him. But he was very sweet and he was very persistent. And he came from a family, although larger than mine, where we had something kind of similar. Our parent, both of sets of our parents have been married a really long time. In fact, they're still married a really long time. So his parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary at the end of last year. And mine just celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary in April. When I met him, I knew he, he appeared to have a very stable family situation. And he did and does. And had it not been for my younger sister dating his younger brother, I would not have met Leo because we didn't run in the same circles. He had been in the military and then went to college, just had a different timeline for life than mine. So again, it felt very meant to be very faded because I wasn't looking for him. I don't think he was looking for anybody either that up finding each other. And we've been married 22 years in January, but we were, we've been together 25. Wow. So did he think you were just plain hard to get? Uh, no, and I wasn't. So I really wasn't interested. We started dating in January. Well, not dating. I met him. Sorry. I should say January of 1994. I would see him and he would invite me to things. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just would say no. I, I was nice generally, but I would just, you know, no thanks. Well, I remember several months later, like I, that it kind of clicked with me that I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. Like I didn't ever think I was attracted to him, never even thought about it, like not even once because we would just kind of do things as friends. And I, you know, there was no kind of anything really. I think he tried to kiss me and I was like, well, I'm really, we're, we're friends. He would invite me out for movies and I'm like, I will go, but I'm paying, I'm buying my own ticket. And he would have this look on his face, like what, what, like, what is your deal? But he would just let me act like that. <laughs> this terrible, but that's exactly how it went. And then it was months later and I was like, oh, he's kind of, he's kind of cute. So then we started kind of, <laughs> then it became more like dating. Then it was more like we're holding hands and, you know, and it's progressing from there. And, and I feel like, you know, we're like in a relationship. Okay. So to date myself a little bit, OJ Simpson trial, it's happening in the fall. Mm -hmm. Of yep. 1990. Let's see. Okay. I think it's in 1994. I'm sorry. This is 1995. Okay. I believe his acquittal date was October 4th, 1995. And the only reason I remember that is because the day that they said that he was not guilty, I was devastated. I had been watching all the trial, got on for months. And I'm like, of course he killed those people. Of course he did. What is wrong with it? And I was like a huge emotional mess. Leo's calling me like at night at home and I'm like crying over the phone because I'm like, these people didn't get justice and I'm just falling apart. We're getting off the phone because I can't even talk anymore because I'm so emotional. I'm so upset. And he goes, okay, I love you. Goodbye. And I'm like, bye. I hang up the phone. I didn't even, it took me a while to hear what he had said. He had never said that before. So we started dating January of that year, October 4th, the day that OJ got acquitted, tells me that he loves me. Wow. So they, I hang up the phone and a few minutes go by and it rings again and it's him and he's like, did you hear what I said? And I'm like, yes, I heard what you said and I think I love you too. So anyways, but again, I think I did that through tears and crying. So that's adorable. Obviously he had to not wear you down, but build up your trust. Yes. I think yeah. is the way to look at it. It's funny that you guys didn't get stuck in the friend zone with each other. Right. But I'm wondering, you know how you kept saying I was, I just told him no. I just said yeah. no to all the things. Yeah. You started off saying that in high school, you started telling people, no, I can't go and do these yes. things to preemptively yep. shut them out. Mm -hmm. So do you think you were doing that with Leo? Oh, most definitely. Yes. 
I had gotten really good up to that point. I remember somebody telling me a long time ago, no one's going to look out for you like you'll look out for yourself. And I believe that that's true. And I had taken that to heart in that I had developed a system in which I felt little to no pain in relationships or little to no conflict. And I mean, in all relationships. And then because I can think of times where I let that guard down and People are, I mean, I see this now, people are flawed and people are imperfect and people have their own broken issues that they come to all relationships with. And they're not going to always say the things that you want them to say or do the things that you want them to do. And I've done that with other people. You know, I was thinking, one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this is, well, I can sit and talk about things that I that were said to me and things that changed my perspective on things. The truth is, is that I'm almost certain I have said things to people that they didn't appreciate. I said things in haste. I think about, this is a really personal moment. I can think about the time that you called me to tell me you were pregnant with Josh. See, I don't remember that at all. So please tell me what you remember. Wow. And I was free at you or I was disappointed. I started crying and I'm like, how could this happen? And you like you were in college. Gosh, if I haven't apologized to you now uh, or, or, uh, or at any point for my reaction, I wholeheartedly apologize to you now because what you needed was me to have been supportive in that moment. And I was young and thinking, oh my gosh, your life is ruined. Oh my gosh, what did you do? And I remember just being so just angry at you. Well, of course your life wasn't ruined. Again, life is going to take twists and turns and some are faded (laughs) and some are acts of randomness, I think. I think it's a blend of them both. And you were meant to be a mom then. And you, Josh, I still remember the first time I came down to San Diego and saw him and he was just incredible. And I still got baby pictures of him in a book and, and, and then pictures of him as a little guy throughout the years that I just love. And he was just so crazy and his faces reminded me of you so much. And I just, I was so wrong in that moment. Um, but you know what, that was me being inexperienced with life and me just having just a knee jerk reaction and thinking, oh my gosh, your life is over. Well, of course it wasn't. Well, I don't even remember that. So obviously there's no nothing to forgive on my side, but, um, Ooh, make me cry. I'm sure that I have failed you or hurt your feelings a million times over too. So I don't know. You know what? I got to say in my memories of high school, there wasn't ever a moment where I thought, no, I mean, if there was, it's still in one of those white boxes with the red ribbon and I haven't unwrapped it because I couldn't think of it. Or hopefully you burned yeah, it. It's yeah, or maybe or that was one of the ones that got burned, but I don't remember that at all. But again, like, you know, my example with me, I know I didn't give you the right response and immediate support that you needed from me. Hopefully I, I was able to turn things around, but I, I know I'm not the only one on the planet who's reacted to somebody like that. And well, I know that I did that to a friend who I grew up with in New Jersey, and then she got pregnant at, gosh, 15 or 16. And I mean, I had even less life experience than you. And I was like, I don't remember what I said to her, but I'm sure it was something like, you can't do that. You're too right. young. Yeah. What the right. fuck? You've- right. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, God only knows what I yeah. said to her. And it's amazing that we're all still friends considering how shitty we've probably all treated each other. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the details. Oh, I remember in Jen, um, our our friend Tristan, and we were really close. And then there was a time when we really weren't. And then she wanted to be close to us again. And for whatever reason, we weren't very welcoming to her for a period of time. I think we just felt hurt because she pulled away from us. And then she was doing some other things with some other people. And then she kind of wanted to come back. And I mean, later, you know, she revealed things going on in her life. And she was 
a very honest and and very brave you know in the, in later years she called me whenever i was in school at the university of arkansas just to kind of give me some life updates and you know i think that if you came out of high school the generic you if you came out of high school thinking that it was a great years and you did it well i think that's rare as yeah. a whole i think though that there are shining moments you know i can remember walking to alpha beta with you at the shopping center down the road and buying a 99 cent bag of cheat cheese puffs and coming back to your house and watching the terminator movie on a vhs your folks both worked and so we would come back to your house and as far as the Terminator, I mean, there's just so many things that we are so ingrained and yeah. embedded that this equals yes. Monica. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Terminator equals Lauren, you. Lauren, but it's it, funny it because I you that my son's name is Kyle, right? <laughs> oh, no. It was day one. It was day one. I was like, oh my God, Kyle, come with me if you want to live. I knew, I knew day one when you told me, and I think you had picked the name before, and I was like, oh, well, of course. I mean, I remember just the ease of my friendship with you. If you and I had arguments in high school, I don't remember them all, and there must not have been very many. I remember just our relationship being very easy and just very natural. Even now, I you came out for my 40th birthday, and I hadn't seen you in years. And... And we started crying yeah, immediately. And just the conversation just kind of seems like it picks up where we, we left it off. You're one of the few people in my life where it feels like that. It doesn't, it's effortless. It doesn't feel like I have to preload questions in my head because I'm not sure what we might say later. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. No, agreed. But okay, remind me, if the 40th was the surprise where you didn't know I yeah. was coming, what was the year that I was driving around with you making all these excuses, trying to stall the surprise party? That was when I turned 40. That was it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I was almost yes, like a decoy yeah, then. Yeah. Okay, I get so it. So when okay. I was in that hotel, we, Leo and I had stayed the night and then you came to the lobby. I thought that that, that was my surprise. I thought you were my, I had right. no right. idea yeah, yeah, about yeah. the dinner at River Grill. When you suggested it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have always wanted to go. So I had no idea there was a, a big party. That is so funny that I thought it was two different events. No, it is it's all the same. same yeah, thing. it's the same. Mm -hmm. And you remember yeah. we went to Dillard's and uh, we got matching shoes? Yeah, I wore yes. those things out. I did Jack's too. broken. Yeah. Okay, so... You are in a unique position to answer this question. How do you think your relationship with spirituality, or however you define that, that word, has changed over time in your life? I think that, I think it's, it's a deeper, richer way of thinking, way of living that I have. I think that I... I'm not, I, I just like my re reaction to whenever you announced your pregnancy, I, I can say for sure, I was super judgmental of people and life choices that they made. And that was m me being naive and me not having enough of my own life experiences and that spiritualness in myself, not growing. I think that I, I know for sure because people have told me that I am a lot more accepting and a lot more uh, embracing of, of things that would just bother me about people or, or life choices that they made. Again, my perspective is no one's doing life perfectly. And if you tell somebody that you are doing life perfectly, that's just a straight up lie because we're just, we're human and we're just not going to get things right a hundred percent of the time. And I feel, you know what? Everybody needs to, to this is going to sound so mamby pamby tree hugger granola a little bit, but you know, what? we all need to, we all need to lead with love. We really do. I think if we embraced each other and our differences and saw them, and celebrated them more than fought against them and tried to control people. I think overall would be a lot more happier as a plan as a whole. I think it's ridiculous that people get so angry about the things that they get so angry about. My perspective, I'm a Christian and I believe in a single God 
And I believe that we're all here for a reason. So a, a baby that is, is coming and is a surprise, I don't think is a bad thing. Whenever I was 20, I would have thought, oh my gosh, what have you done? And your life is over. Well, of course it's not. And I think that things happen for a reason, but I still think that there is some randomness that happens. And do I think that, does God care, you know, who's winning the Super Bowl or any? No, I don't. I think it's so ridiculous when people pray about sports and, okay, that's a whole other tangent. But anyways, um, I just, no, I think that if people just listened to each other a, a little bit more and didn't just try and hear their own their own selves talking, I think that as a whole, we would all get along a lot better. And, and on, on some hands, on some ways, I think things are getting better. And then sadly, that the man that just got shot jogging down a street by two men, that's beyond devastating and heartbreaking and maddening. And it just it blows my mind that we're in 2020 that, our planet still dealing with things like this like what 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 is wrong with what is wrong with people like on i just uh, i'm gonna die and and there are gonna have to be things that i'm just gonna have to be okay not understanding and th that event amongst thousands of others are ones that i'm never going to be able to break apart and digest and be settled with that that that's that's never going to happen with something like that Right, because unless it's the last one, if it's the last one that teaches yeah. everyone, then yes. you're like, then there's a point, then there's a reason, yeah. and we can yeah. fix things. But you know, it's oh, not going to be, yeah. and so yeah, of course not. Okay, so yeah. like this whole COVID nineteen business, like there are people who are like going through grocery stores and coughing on people, wiping their faces on people, and they're getting arrested for that. It's like really, like what's what's your goal here? Like what's what's the point? That doesn't help humanity at all. That doesn't help you know with this situation. But there are going to be people that are just going to do what they want to do it when they want to do it. And they really just want everybody else just to stick it and get out of their way. They just, they just don't care. Yeah. Well, they're acting out and they're acting out, you know, trauma that has been done to them probably, but yeah. Or they're just jerks. Too many people. <laughs> All right. Well, too many people are just jerks because they have a, I got mine sucks to be yes, you attitude. Yes. But going back, you know, to the spirituality thing, I wanted to just apologize for whatever sort of crap I dragged you through back in the day with a probably holier than thou attitude that I had about things. You didn't. You didn't. And in fact, I mean, it was it was an introduction for me to all of that. You know, we we my family didn't go to church and we didn't I wasn't raised in a household where that was something that we did. So for me to have joined a Bible study in high school, I mean, this was new to me and you know, and and I would say that my relationship with God hasn't always been on the front burner. Nope. In college, it sure as heck wasn't. And I, I think that that's probably not unusual. And I think that, I mean, even now, like I'm going to probably mess this up a little bit, but Mother Teresa, when she died, when they were cleaning out um, her bedroom, they found some writings of hers. And I can't quote exactly what she said, but you could see where she was really questioning God and she was questioning why were happening. And I think that gives me some insight into her because people can look at her and think that she was just a perfect example of doing God's work and or making lives better from a spiritual perspective. But the truth is she's, she's just a human. She's just a woman and she had questions and she had doubts. And if someone like her can have doubts and questions, I think that there's room for all of us to have doubts and questions. Exactly. We're not going to get all the answers that we want all the time. We're just, we're not. And I think that for her to have questioned her faith and for her to question things that were happening makes it like, make, like, you know, that's, that's not the worst thing that you can do because that's normal. Again, we're imperfect people and we don't, we don't uh, understand why things are happening or why things are not happening. So where did you read that? Did you read a book about Mother Teresa? Yeah, yeah. So somebody wrote a book about somebody wrote a book about her after she passed away and shared some of her writings and she was really questioning 
God. And, you know, she's she, up until her dying day, she was protecting and, and trying to save and, and feed and protect the, the extremely marginalized people of our planet. And it's not like any of that's necessarily gotten better. You know, there are still people starving. There's still people being brutalized and into slavery and are hungry and are don't have clean water and don't have medicine. So she, she was fighting that her whole life um, with the poorest and the weakest. And that's, that's still happening. So as you've been talking, particularly about people and sort of learning to be more open and understanding and accepting and everything. Um, and you right. mentioned Brene Brown earlier. I had heard of Brene and I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Another self-help person right. on the scene, whatever. And right, right. then I heard a then I heard a couple of things and I was like, okay. And then I heard a couple right. of things that she had said and I was like, okay, I like her better, but nothing really stuck with right. me. The first thing that just stabbed me through the heart was she was at this like retreat and these two people were really being judgmental. She was really troubled by what happened and what they were talking about. And so she goes to her husband and said, do you think that people are doing the best they can? Because her general right. reaction was always, no way, people suck. People are not doing right. the best they can as evidenced right. by this world. And yeah. he said, after a bunch of deliberation, I don't know if they're doing the best that they can, but my life is better when I assume that they are. That's good. Yeah. You hadn't heard that yeah. before? No. Yeah. Mm -mm. It's really good. So I can send that to you and I can put it yeah. as a link, this podcast yeah. too. But um, so have you read her before? So no. So I've watched all of her TED Talks, all of her Oprah Soul Sundays mm -hmm. talks and... I, I I have a list of her books on that I just kind of keep banking. And I think to myself, Monica, you got to get started. You got to like, you know, read the one. Um, but no, I haven't read any of her books. No, I will. So what have you read that has really impacted your life? Well, just, I would say the thing that she was on Oprah talking about vulnerability, which I struggle with terribly. And she was saying that if you need one person, if you have more than one, if you have two, you've hit the lottery, but you need one person. But she also talked about, you know, you don't need to be sharing your business with everybody and their dog. And you and I probably have met people who you meet them for the first time. And in 30 minutes, you know, how many times your husband's been arrested and right. what her mom's middle name is and all that kind of stuff. And I just, gosh, I don't, that's the total opposite of me. I don't have the patience for that, like at all. So I know it's, I know that's something I need to work on. It just, yeah, it's, it's something that's a work in progress. I need to, I need to be able to be more vulnerable with at least one or two people. And I just feel like I just don't, I don't have that. I don't, it's not something I do well. And I think I, it's like, if I keep going down that road, I think to myself, I think it makes, I, I this isn't the truth, the truth, but I think it makes me like, it's a sign of weakness. Why wouldn't you want to be weak? You know, why wouldn't you want to be vulnerable and weak with people? I don't know. I don't know. There's something in me that tells me that that's not a good thing. So how do you think your relationships have been considering how guarded and lack of vulnerability you are with people? So I know that like there have been friendships that just kind of fizzled and burned because I, if I felt like we were getting too close, I just was, that wasn't something that I was willing to do. Like I would, I do better when I maintain a, a level of distance and God, that sounds terrible, but it's true. Um, so I've had friendships that probably started out as we would have been great friends and I just didn't really want to be that close to somebody. So do you look, Lauren, you're, you're getting this full information. This is probably the most that I've said to anybody in a long time. So you're welcome. Vulnerable. Number one, here you are. That's awesome. So do you look at your relationships and think that most of your friends liked you more when you first met them and sort of they fizzled out over time because of the lack of a vulnerability? I think that is, it depends because you, my friend, you reminds me of a, of a, of another woman that I met since here. They've since moved away, but I feel like we can pick up just where we left, we left off. There's a, there's a closeness. I have been able to be vulnerable with her. And even though she like, she doesn't even live here anymore. 
but we will, you know, talk about things and I will tell her things, you know, that I typically wouldn't tell somebody else. And so on one hand, it depends. Some of my relationships have gotten better over time and some just kind of fizzled and burned and I could see them fading away, but I didn't try and dive in to save them because for whatever reason, and I guess they didn't, the other person didn't either. You know what I'm saying? I think it takes two. I have noticed that people have said to me like, oh, you know, everybody likes you and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I really feel like people like me better when they first meet me. And then over time, they get to be like, nah, I'm done with her. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Like it's a good initially, but that it wears thin. And I'm wondering maybe if they feel like it's a one-sided kind of relationship or maybe they just get to know me more and don't like what they see. I don't but I know. I think, you know, you change, I change, people change. I remember another quote given me a long time ago, which I, I believe is true, is that, you know, friends don't always stay and life is very fluid and people come in and out of your life for all sorts of reasons. And some will stay for a long time, some won't. And you may never know why you were friends with someone and then others you might. So I think it just, it's all over the place. But what we can be sure of is that life is fluid and that we will have friendships in them, but we just don't know how long they're going to stay or where they're going to go and how long they're going to last. Yeah, it's very true and it's very sad, but I guess since it's universal, yeah. it's nothing to regret. It's just, yes, it I, is what it is oh my, in those situations. Uh, yes. I have that sign in my house. It is what it is. And there's a lot of times I hate that saying, yeah. but in certain cases like that, I think it's the only thing that yeah. fits. So I just want to thank you for being here, for doing this, for being vulnerable. And I am so glad that we're still in each other's lives and that we can just pick up where we left off. Yeah, me too. It means a lot. I was really looking forward to today. And like I said, it stirred up lots of thoughts and memories and feelings. And I'm glad that you're in mine and I'm in yours after all these years. And I love you and thank you for being here. Thank you. And I love you too. Well, that was a fun and heartfelt, but a little bit uh, gut-wrenching at times discussion. And I hope that you all enjoyed it and learned a little bit. I've got some links on the website about getting some therapy, getting some help, having a conversation about what you're going through mentally and emotionally and spiritually, and also a link to my favorite Brene Brown discussion point. So I hope that that did your soul good and that you'll come back for next week's installment of Revel Revel.